It's Monday, February 24th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. A jury in Manhattan has found former movie executive Harvey Weinstein guilty of two sex crimes. We'll explain what today's verdict means and what to expect next. Then, as coronavirus spreads from country to country, continent to continent, fears are growing that the outbreak is reaching the level of a pandemic. We'll dive into what that means and who that hurts the most. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. Today's episode is brought to you by CarMax. Discover how easy car buying can be. After three weeks of testimony and five days of jury deliberation, we have a verdict in the Harvey Weinstein trial. He was found guilty on two out of five charges, rape in the third degree and criminal sexual assault in the first degree. We're going to explain what today's verdict means, but quick warning, the details of the charges against Weinstein may be hard to hear for some listeners. Just to recap, Weinstein was thrown into the spotlight more than two years ago. After reports in the New York Times and The New Yorker detailed sexual harassment and assault allegations against him, dating back to the 90s. Since then, at least 100 women have publicly accused Weinstein of sexual assault or harassment, including actresses like Rose McGowan and Ashley Judd, as well as production assistants and aspiring actresses. Weinstein ended up getting expelled from the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, and the Weinstein Company filed for bankruptcy. As for whether Weinstein would face criminal charges, though, that was more complicated. Most of the allegations against Weinstein happened too long ago to be taken to court, but prosecutors in New York ultimately found a way and filed charges based largely on the allegations of two women, one who alleged Weinstein forced her to let him perform oral sex on her and the other who alleged Weinstein raped her in a hotel room in New York. For that, prosecutors charged him with first and third degree rape, as well as criminal sexual act in the third degree. Prosecutors also brought two more, tougher charges against Weinstein for predatory sexual assault. That's when prosecutors say a suspect has attacked at least two different victims. For those charges, prosecutors needed testimony from a third woman, actress Annabella Sciorra, who says Weinstein raped her in the early 90s. The alleged assault happened too long ago for Sciorra to bring a case, but the judge allowed her to share her testimony in this trial to help prosecutors prove predatory sexual assault. Those charges alone could have meant life in prison for Weinstein. Ultimately, Weinstein was found guilty of third-degree rape and first-degree criminal sexual assault. But he was found not guilty of first-degree rape, which means forcing someone to have sex by either using physical force or after making threats. Weinstein was also found not guilty of the two counts of predatory sexual assault, which some court watchers say likely means that the jury didn't believe Annabella Sciorra's testimony or felt it was too long ago to be relevant here. Right after the verdict was read, Weinstein was taken into custody, and in two weeks, he'll be sentenced. Even though he was not convicted of those tougher predatory sexual assault charges, today's verdict still means he faces up to 25 years in prison. And today's verdict also caps off the first criminal case against the man whose actions helped propel the Me Too movement. But his legal team says they're planning to appeal. When the verdict came in, Mr. Weinstein was shocked, but stoic at the same time. He didn't react emotionally. There was no crying or anything like that. All he kept saying over and over again was, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. How could this happen in America? Meanwhile, the Manhattan District Attorney, Cyrus Vance, whose office brought these charges, 
took a moment today to reflect on the historic nature of the verdict at a press conference today. I think this was a very difficult case, uh, a very challenging case, uh, and a case that uh, really moved our understanding of what sexual assault is, where it can occur, shattered myths that I think have been part of the criminal justice system for a long time. Now that there's been a guilty verdict in the Weinstein case, advocates like Rain, the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, are hoping other victims will feel comfortable telling their stories and getting justice. But the long, gruesome ordeal in the case of Harvey Weinstein is far from over. Today's verdict happened in New York, but Weinstein is also facing sexual assault charges in Los Angeles, which means he faces the possibility of even more time behind bars. But only time will tell. If you want more context for how the New York trial came about in the first place, in September, our co-founders Carly and Danielle interviewed the New York Times reporters who helped break the Weinstein sexual harassment story in 2017, Megan Tuohy and Jody Cantor. You can download their full interview on our other podcast, Skimmed from the Couch. Coming up, why health officials are starting to drop the P word when talking about coronavirus. That's next. Buying a car can be stressful. Enter CarMax. All of their cars are CarMax certified, so you can shop worry-free. And the price you see is the price you pay, so there's no surprises. Plus, it's tax season, and a down payment on that car you've been eyeing is one way to spend your return. Speaking of returns, they have a seven-day money-back guarantee. So if you change your mind, you can bring the car back for a full refund. No questions asked. Start your search on CarMax.com. CarMax, the way it should be. You might be hearing a new P word in the context of the coronavirus outbreak, pandemic. When there's some big health crisis going on, there tends to be a lot of scary medical terms thrown around. But there's a big difference between them all. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the terms outbreak and epidemic usually refer to sudden spikes in the number of cases of a disease. But calling something a pandemic is different and way more serious. So what is a pandemic? The CDC defines a pandemic as an epidemic that is spread over several countries or continents, and one that usually affects a large number of people. Pandemic is a Greek word. The pan means all, and the demos means people. So an all-people disease. Not exactly the kind of club you want to be in. Let's be clear. Coronavirus hasn't spread to all people just yet. And today, the World Health Organization said we should be careful about throwing around the P word. Does this virus have pandemic potential? Absolutely, it has. Are we there yet? From our assessment, not yet. And yet a number of health experts disagree and are saying, given what we've been seeing lately, calling this a pandemic isn't that off base. So what's changed? In the past few days, outbreaks of coronavirus have started to pop up in a lot of different places like South Korea, Iran, and Italy. And increasingly, a lot of these new infections don't have direct ties back to Wuhan, China, where the outbreak began. South Korea went from having just a few dozen cases of coronavirus earlier this month to more than 800 now. And the outbreak appears to be spreading within a tight-knit religious community within South Korea. A similar rapid spike in coronavirus cases is hitting Iran. In just about a week, the country's gone from having pretty much zero reported cases to what one Iranian lawmaker claims are 50 coronavirus deaths. Government officials say we've only seen 12 deaths, so coronavirus and confusion. And then there's Italy. 
Italy is reporting at least six deaths and more than 200 infections. And 10 towns in northern Italy are now on lockdown to try and stop the disease from spreading. Health officials aren't stopping there. They're canceling soccer matches, closing schools, and cutting short the Venice Carnival. And this outbreak in Italy has put most of Europe on alert, given how easy it is to move between European countries. The increasingly global spread of coronavirus worries health officials for several reasons. First, it suggests efforts to stop coronavirus by focusing on stopping travel from China hasn't worked. Previously, countries hoped that with enough health checks at airports, the outbreak could be contained. Now that looks like wishful thinking, as the virus starts to spread between people who had no travel ties to China. Dr. Jennifer Nuzzo is a senior scholar at the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. She says a lot of countries, including the U.S., took this approach. There was an initial heavy emphasis on travel to Wuhan specifically, and in some cases, broader China. But once infected people enter a country, this laser focus on stopping travelers can cause blind spots. Say you live in a little town outside of Milan and develop flu symptoms. If you haven't visited China, you might think, I've just got a normal flu. So you take some DayQuil and try to power through. But if you actually were infected by a tourist or neighbor who visited China, you might not think to swing by the doctor's office and get checked out. In a lot of places, doctors aren't just randomly testing any sick people for coronavirus. But once they start looking, they may discover new outbreaks. And that might explain how places like Italy have seen these big spikes in infections kind of out of nowhere. Today, the WHO made clear it's concerned about these new outbreaks around the world and said it's time to start prepping for new infections. And that's not gonna be easy in poor, less developed countries in Africa, Latin America, and parts of Asia. People in lower income countries often have a lower baseline of health and lower flu vaccination rates. Some experts say that means that if people in those countries get coronavirus, it could spread more easily and maybe lead to more severe infections and more deaths. Often, these poorer countries also lack money to spend on healthcare, even when there aren't pandemics. According to the World Bank, in the U.S., public health spending is around $10,000 per person per year. Compare that to $80 per person in Nigeria, Africa's most populous country. And you can start to see how countries might not have the money to respond properly, which could lead to coronavirus spreading even faster. So what's the skim? We've talked about coronavirus a lot in connection with the outbreak in Wuhan, China, then in the context of outbreaks around China. But now, new outbreaks, not just one-off cases, are popping up within countries as far apart as South Korea, Iran, and Italy. Health experts say that can mean hopes of containing coronavirus within China have probably been dashed. And it's better to focus now on preparing to deal with infections. Dr. Nuzzo says in countries like the U.S., that means clearing hospital beds in advance for people who may need hospitalization or preparing treatment plans for at-risk populations like the elderly or people living in close proximity, like in prisons or college dorms. And gradually, this planning is starting to happen. I think you've seen the CDC shifting its language to talk about the need to do mitigation measures. We've heard that the White House may be requesting uh, emergency funding. So I, I think that uh, we're starting to push in this direction. It's a little bit later than I would have liked to see, but I'm glad that we're headed there. The U.S. may have been late to focus on treating coronavirus instead of trying to stop it at the borders. But once that shift occurs, the U.S. is in a good position to respond. 
The U.S. has great hospitals, lots of money to spend on a response, stockpiles of protective gear, and the ability to manufacture things that we might run out of. As for the rest of the world, there's no easy fix, which might explain why global markets took a serious dive today as the severity of coronavirus, pandemic or not, starts to come into focus. A woman who helped us calculate our way to the moon died today. Katherine Johnson helped write the equations that, among other things, sent astronauts into orbit. Her experience at NASA during the height of segregation was featured in the best-selling book and Oscar-nominated movie, Hidden Figures. Mr. Harrison, I would like to attend today's briefing. One scene shows Johnson, played by Taraji P. Henson, asking her boss for a seat at the table. I cannot do my work effectively if I do not have all of the data and all of the information as soon as it's available. I need to be in that room hearing what you hear. Spoiler alert, she goes to the meeting. You should see the look on her colleagues' faces when she corrects their math. Pencil, drop. Now, here's a math problem for you. Take the number of Oscars Hidden Figures was nominated for, three. Multiply that by the number of years Johnson was at NASA, 33. And add how many moons Mars has, two. That's how long Johnson lived, 101 years. And that's all for Skim This. Thanks again for listening and be sure to hit subscribe and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you want to add the skim to your morning routine, sign up for our free newsletter, The Daily Skim, right on our website at theskim.com. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox. 